This is RCT number 35, The Holy Spirit, the Life Giver. RCT stands for the Roman Catechism of Trent. We are on pages 95 to 98. This is the Creed, Article 8, Section C. God give you his peace, and omni patris affidi, et spiritu sancti, amen. O heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us, and cleanse us of all impurity, and save our souls, O good one, in omni patris affidi, et spiritu sancti, amen. So today's RCT is going to be a little bit like the CPX, where I'm going to read you the full chunk of the Catechism, and then give you my thoughts on that to follow. So the Catechism today on the Holy Spirit, the, the Life Giver, this is the last section that we have in the Holy Spirit, at least as this refers to the Creed, and we start with the term the Lord, because the Holy Spirit is the Lord. The Catechism of Trent reads, By confessing the Holy Ghost to be Lord, they declare how far he excels the angels, who are the noblest spirits created by God, for they are all, says the Apostle, ministering spirits sent to minister for them, who shall receive the inheritance of salvation? See Hebrews chapter 1, verses 14. Life giver. They also designate the Holy Ghost the giver of life, because the soul lives more by its union with God than the body is nourished and sustained by its union with the soul. Let me read that one more time. I know I just said I was going to interrupt, but that's amazing. They also designate the Holy Ghost the giver of life because the soul lives more by its union with God than the body is nourished and sustained by its union with the soul. Since then, the sacred scriptures ascribe to the Holy Ghost this union of the soul with God. It is clear that he is most rightly called the giver of life. Who proceedeth from the Father and the Son? With regard to the words immediately succeeding, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, the faithful are to be taught that the Holy Ghost proceeds by an eternal procession from the Father and the Son as from one principle. This truth is proposed for our belief by the creed of the Church from which no Christian may depart and is confirmed by the authority of the sacred scriptures and of councils. Christ the Lord, speaking of the Holy Ghost, says, He shall glorify me because he shall receive of mine, John 16, 14, we also find that the Holy Ghost is sometimes called in Scripture the Spirit of Christ, sometimes the Spirit of the Father, that he is one time said to be sent by the Father, another time by the Son, all of which clearly signifies that he proceeds alike from the Father and the Son. He, says St. Paul, who has not the Spirit of Christ, belongs not to him, Romans 8, 9. In his epistle to the Galatians, he also calls the Holy Ghost the Spirit of Christ. God hath sent the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, he is called the Spirit of the Father. It is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father that speaketh in you, Matthew ten twenty. Our Lord said at his Last Supper, When the paraclete cometh, whom I will send you the Spirit of truth, who proceedeth from the Father, he shall give testimony of me, John fifteen twenty six. On another occasion, that the Holy Ghost will be sent by the Father, he declares in these words, Whom the Father will send in my name, John fourteen twenty six. Understanding these words to denote the procession of the Holy Ghost, we come to the inevitable conclusion that he proceeds from both Father and Son. The above are the truths that should be taught with regard to the person of the Holy Ghost.
The next section titled, Certain Divine Works Are Appropriated to the Holy Ghost. It is also the duty of the pastor to teach that there are certain admirable effects, certain excellent gifts of the Holy Ghost, which are said to originate and emanate from him as from a perennial fountain of goodness. Although the intrinsic works of the Most Holy Trinity are common to the three persons, yet many of them are attributed specially to the Holy Ghost to signify that they arise from the boundless charity of God towards us. For as the Holy Ghost proceeds from the divine will, inflamed, as it were, with love, we can perceive that these effects, which are referred particularly to the Holy Ghost, are the result of God's supreme love for us. Hence it is that the Holy Ghost is called a gift. For by the word gift, we understand that which is kindly and gratuitously bestowed without expectation of any return. Whatever gifts and graces, therefore, have been conferred on us by God, and what have we, says the Apostle, that we have not received from God, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, we should piously and gratefully acknowledge as bestowed by the grace and gift of the Holy Ghost. Creation, Government, Life These gifts of the Holy Ghost are numerous, not to mention the creation of the world, the propagation and government of all created beings discussed in the first article, we have just shown that the giving of life is particularly attributed to the Holy Ghost, and this is further confirmed by the testimony of Ezekiel. I will give you spirit and you shall live. Ezekiel 37.6 The Seven Gifts The prophet Isaiah, however, enumerates the chief effects which are most properly ascribed to the Holy Ghost. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and fortitude, the spirit of wisdom and piety, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. See Isaiah chapter 11. These effects are called the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and sometimes they are even called the Holy Ghost. Wisely, therefore, does St. Augustine admonish us whenever we meet the word Holy Ghost in Scripture to distinguish whether it means the third person of the Trinity or his gifts and operations. The two are as far apart as the creator from the creature. The diligence of the pastor in expounding these truths should be the greater, since it is from these gifts of the Holy Ghost that we derive rules of Christian life and are enabled to know if the Holy Ghost dwelleth in us. Justifying grace. But the grace of justification, which signs us with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the pledge of our inheritance, Ephesians 1.13, transcends all his other most ample gifts. It unites us to God in the closest bonds of love, lights up within us the sacred flame of piety, forms us to newness of life, renders us partakers of the divine nature, and enables us to be called and really to be the sons of God. See 1 John 3 and 2 Peter chapter 1. Okay, me for the first and only time today. Now we just heard the gifts of the Holy Spirit today given at baptism and confirmation, but what about the things that many people today call the charismatic gifts, like the gifts of miracles? We're going to see that St. Thomas Aquinas has a little bit of a different term, but what do we make of those extraordinary gifts like tongues, miracles, healings, raisings of the dead? Paul Glenn at a tour of the Summa does this nicely, so I think we're going to define several different terms of grace using his website. We won't go into every type of grace, but there's three main ones you should memorize today. Grace, which precedes an operation or state of the soul, is called prevenient grace. Notice that unbaptized pagans or infidels can receive provenient grace. Provenient just means coming before. Okay, coming before what? Coming before 
Sanctifying grace, that's the next term to learn. Sanctifying grace, most of you know. Sanctifying grace is given to the receiver to make him holy, and holy means set apart and even like God. The best examples of this come from baptism and confession. These make you alive in God. Alive in God, which is why I just put these under in this pod today, the title, the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. Now we have that misunderstood one. And gratuitous graces. A gratuitous grace is, say, the grace of miracles or prophecy. As I said, most modernists call these the charismatic gifts. But charism just means gift. So that in Latin would kind of mean gifty gifts. I guess gifty gift isn't totally crazy, but the Thomistic term is better, and that's gratuitous grace. Gratuitous grace is the gift of miracles or prophecy. These are the extraordinary gifts not given to everyone who's baptized. Now, granted, gratuitous also comes from the term gift in Latin, but it more accurately is translated, I believe, as freely given. Mr. Glenn writes, quote, grace given to one person for the benefit of and holiness of others is gratuitous grace. Such, for example, is the grace of miracles or the grace of prophecy, end quote. So, okay, right there, notice sanctifying grace is given to you for your holiness, but gratuitous graces are given to you for others' holiness, not just to say you're cool in Catholic circles. Let me say that again. Sanctifying grace is given to you for your holiness at baptism, but if you are ever given gratuitous graces, these are for others' holiness. And gratuitous graces are listed by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, and these include wisdom, knowledge, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of speeches. And we're not going to get into today the difference between charismatics and traditionalists on that title or that gift of tongues. Most of you know that debate. Mr. Glenn writes, quote, Sanctifying grace sets man directly in line with God, his last end, Gratuitous grace stirs man and prepares him to get in line with his last end. End quote. I like that. I found an interesting article on the SSPX website from May of 1999 about Padre Pio, and it reads this. Quote, the final year of this dying, decaying century will see the beatification of Padre Pio, the holy monk whom God sent as a sign for our age. For while everyone wants to make us believe in a new charismatic church, Strangely, we do not find there any wonder-working saints, the author means in that so-called charismatic world of the 1970s and 80s and 90s, like the ones we meet throughout the church's history, starting with Pentecost. Padre Pio seems to close the procession of their number, doing so magnificently, being the only priest to have borne the stigmata of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two quick notes there. One could also be uh, St. Paul. I think he also had the stigmata. Um, second point, I do think it's kind of scary there that the author at that SSPX website says Padre Pio seems to close the procession of the wonder-working saints. Usually the PX website isn't too um, sensational like that, but that's quite a statement that I seems to be true to me too. Okay, the article continues. Much has been written about Padre Pio, more than 600 books it seems, and the authors always stress the extraordinary side of his life. Not only his particular charisms, reading souls, healing, raising people from the dead, bilocating ecstasies, exuding perfume, prophesying, etc., but also the incredible sufferings which he endured from his earliest childhood, the persecutions undergone from some churchmen and even brothers in religion, as well as his two great charitable works, the founding of the House of Suffering and prayer groups. Okay, so what it just named there, reading souls, healing, raising people from the dead, 
bilocating ecstasies, his body exuding uh, good smelling perfume or ointment or just smell, prophesying. Remember what we learned today. These are gratuitous graces not given to everyone at baptism. And notice also right there, um, it definitely delineates Padre Pio from the charismatic world. As you've heard, I'm not, I'm not a traditionalist as harsh against most people in the traditional movement as a lot of traditionalists because I've seen miracles and great evil in there. But the fact I've seen evil and great miracles in the charismatic world shows that you can open yourself up to a whole battery of spirits that you don't know if they're coming from, from heaven or hell. And so that's where it's just safer to um, aim for the interior life, the ascetical life that we have in all the saints, including Padre Pio. But let's just recap the three definitions of grace that we learned today. Provenient grace is the grace which precedes an operation or state of the soul. So let's give an example of this. This would be, say, when Jesus appears to a Muslim in a dream. Even today, we know this is happening a lot. Jesus appears to a Muslim in a dream and tells him to follow him, Jesus Christ, and be baptized. That would be a provenient grace. Some traditionalists believe there's no grace for those who have never been baptized, and that's not true. That's a provenient grace. But it doesn't change the soul from the inside out. That leads us to the next one. That's sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace is one is when one is made holy. So to use this same example here, that would be when the Muslim is actually baptized by a priest or even a layperson. Remember, a layperson, if there's no priest around, can do the baptism. Just make sure you do it the right way. And then at this moment, the Muslim sins, all of his sins, including original sin, are washed away, and he becomes a tabernacle of the Blessed Trinity, provided he had some low or high level of faith at the point of baptism. And then the third one I want you to memorize today is gratuitous grace. Gratuitous grace, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, are the graces given to urge others to conversion or healing. And this is found in 1 Corinthians 12, including wisdom, knowledge, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of speeches. And a few of the gratuitous graces that Padre Pio had include reading souls, healing, raising people from the dead, bilocating ecstasies, exuding perfume, and prophesying. So these are given freely to saints to lead others to the sacraments. So even these can be put under the title of the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, as I've called today's podcast today. And it's fine to pray that the Holy Spirit gives you these gratuitous or extraordinary gifts, these gifts of miracles, but I would propose it's even better to pray that you never lose sanctifying grace through mortal sin, and if you do, that you be led rapidly to a priest for confession. Please say, an Our Father for me, et benedictio Deumne Potentis, Patris Sifidi, et Spiritus Santi, descendet super vos, et maniat semper. Amen.